Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one best-selling book, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then call my office at 662-844-1414 and order my new book, The Code Breaker. Welcome in on a Monday. And uh, just as I hit record, the news breaks here that the Redskins uh, are no more. Uh, they just announced via press release, although they used a Redskins and the logo letterhead, uh, that they are removing both of those things. For whatever that's worth to you, either way, welcome into the show. This is the Rebel Report. I'm Michael Borky. Thank you so much for making the podcast a part of your day. And we're talking year zero. It's a concept that's been thrown around a lot before uh, in terms of other coaches. And I've always pushed back on that idea. I thought that the concept of year zero was a bad one, uh, especially when it related to a team in the SEC West. However, the circumstances are a little bit different, and now that we know that the SEC season is going to look very, very different than the one that was scheduled, I think this is year zero and should be considered year zero for Lane Kiffin and, for that matter, uh, Eli Drinkwitz and Sam Pittman and Mike Leach. New coaches in the SEC, this should be looked at as year, as year zero and nothing more. Also, there's a AD meeting today. Uh, it was reported on Friday. I think we talked about it on Friday a little bit, but that meeting is happening today in Birmingham. All SEC athletic directors discussing their plans for the fall. So we'll get into all that, plus Auburn. Uh, their Under Armour contract has some funky language in it that is costing them a lot of money, so I'll give you the details on that as well. But first, I do want to remind you, podcast is brought to you every day by LBs just across from University Avenue, or excuse me, uh, off to a rough start, just across from Kroger on University Avenue there in Oxford. Uh, go by and see Greg, tell him we sent you, uh, best place to get your meats in all of Mississippi, but especially there in Oxford. It's really hot outside, so let them do the cooking for you, stop by and get their daily lunch special uh, every weekday, and then get some stuff for the grill as well. It was really hot this past weekend. Did some grilling, though, and um, LB's is the place to do it. Again, tell Greg we sent you, and uh, let's get started. In a perfect world, I would have been able to wait until this uh, this reported meeting was over and some information came out about what was talked about during that meeting uh, before I hit record, but just... There was no reason for me to hold out just in case they actually uh, never um, release the details. I'm sure somebody's going to get what was talked about, but I didn't want to wait for that to happen. So I'm going to go ahead and record today. There is an athletic director meeting. So it's about 8 o'clock as I record this morning. Happening at some point today in person in Birmingham. Uh, the caveat here is that it's actually been scheduled for a little while now. This is not a meeting that... Um, organically came from the Big Ten's announcement. This is something that they have been planning on doing uh, for a couple of weeks now, and this is the first time that there will be an in-person gathering of the leadership in the Southeastern Conference since the coronavirus shut down the basketball tournament on my birthday back in March. Uh, it has been planned for at least two weeks, according to Ross Dellinger at Sports Illustrated, and they're going to talk, as you can imagine, about what they're supposed to do this fall. They've been having Zoom meetings and, and stuff like that, but the goal for today is to gather information on what each athletic director thinks they should do moving forward. And Ross notes that there are no significant decisions that are going to be made today. The SEC's 
seems like they're very firm putting their foot down on the, we don't have to make a decision right now. The Big Ten jumped the gun. We can wait till the end of this month to make sure that we give ourselves enough time to make the appropriate decision when it absolutely has to be made. And I told you last week that that's going to be at the end of this month. So even though I think the SEC is going to go down the road of some kind of conference-only scheduling, maybe a model with a plus one attached to it, uh, I don't think that that's going to be made even in the next couple of weeks. I could be wrong. I might be wrong. But I don't think that's going to happen until the end of this month. Sankey said uh, previously that there are up to 20 contingency plans that they've considered uh, for how to proceed with football season. But now the Big Ten and soon to be the ACC and the Pac-12 have kind of forced their hand a little bit. Once you start taking games, possible games away, it makes it a little bit harder for you to, to operate in a different form than that. So we'll see what happens. And just for what it's worth, the conference-only scheduling idea is going to cost us a lot of games. And I talked about this last week some, but, but you guys know. I mean, Alabama's supposed to play Southern Cal this year. Ole Miss is supposed to play Baylor. And although Baylor media is really pushing back on the idea that the game has been canceled, um, I don't know why they're wanting to die on that hill. Because there's a 99.9% chance that Ole Miss and Baylor do not play on September 6, 2020 at NRG Stadium in Houston. Uh, the, the likelihood of that game happening on time in that venue is very, very small. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but the, just the pushback on, oh, the game's not canceled, it's going to go on as scheduled. Uh, okay, Um Logic tells you otherwise. Either way, you're losing that game. You're losing Georgia, Virginia, Texas, LSU, Tennessee, Oklahoma. I mean, people keep talking about Arkansas, Notre Dame being some kind of marquee matchup. That will be an absolute blowout in South Bend. But still, you lose Colorado A&M, Florida, Florida State, Georgia, Georgia Tech, South Carolina, Clemson, Louisville, Kentucky. All those get lost when you go to a conference-only scheduling. And so... That's why I've kind of revised what I think is going to happen. So I told you on Friday that I think they're going to go 10 games, delayed start, multiple bye weeks, ending the season through through December to give themselves more time and flexibility to make it all happen. I think there's going to be some flexibility added to it. I actually got an email uh, from a listener, uh, and he listens to this show. So this is my going to be my response to you, man. Uh, I'm going to do it here instead of... Um, in written form, if that's okay with you. Here's what he said. When I listened today, I thought uh, a thought kept coming up, and I don't believe you mentioned it too much. However, the thought was this. Since there will not be an issue for South Carolina to travel to Texas A&M, for example, in an all-SEC schedule, would it not be in the best interest of the Big 12, SEC, and ACC to work together in setting a testing protocol so that those three conferences could bring us those marquee games that I talked about? He said, I feel like in a year where revenue is going to be low, wouldn't those games offer more bang for your buck for these conferences, schools, and fans? Um, Will, thank you for that email. Glad you're listening, man. Uh, Really appreciate the support. You said a lot of really nice things in there, none of which I deserve. So thank you, man, uh, for listening. Glad uh, glad you are with me. But that's a really good question. And so I think I'm going to revise my proposal. 
I have a feeling they're going to try to preserve those games. Because like you said, I mean, Missouri's technically in the SEC East. Why is it safe to send South Carolina to Columbia, Missouri and back, or vice versa, but not let South Carolina hop on a bus and drive up to Clemson, which is an hour and a half drive or whatever? Why is one safer than the other? I understand why they're doing the conference-only scheduling, and like I said on Friday, you can enforce testing protocols easier when it's fewer teams you have to deal with. But when it's the ACC and you know that they've got the the financial resources and and the medical resources to make sure that their protocols are also good, what is the harm in letting South Carolina and Clemson play against each other? What is the harm in letting Georgia and Georgia Tech hop on a bus and drive 40 miles up the road to go play against each other? Florida, Florida State, same thing. What is the harm in doing that? So I have a feeling they're going to discuss this week They're going to try to find a way to do like a 9 plus 1 or even a 10 plus 1 where, and I think I mentioned this on Friday, but where the the SEC will tell their teams, hey, this is going to be our conference schedule and we're going to give you an opportunity to add somebody else if you can. We have to approve it. You have to run it by the league office, and it has to be approved with us to make sure that you have all the protocols in place and whatnot. But a 9 plus 1 or a 10 plus 1 where you play a conference schedule and then also somebody else. Because I have a feeling the Georgia athletic director, the South Carolina athletic director, the Kentucky athletic director, and so on, Florida, Scott Strickland at Florida, are going to go to Birmingham today and ask, how can I preserve this game? Because it matters to our people and it matters to this state. Could you imagine Mississippi if the Egg Bowl didn't get played? I mean, it would be a nicer time online. Uh, but, you know, as some people will tell you, I mean, we're at war every day when it comes to the Egg Bowl and it's a battle of our very ideals. So uh, could you imagine if that game didn't get played, what would happen around here? Luckily, both teams are in the SEC, so uh, John Cohen and Keith Carter don't have to worry about it. But if I was one of those previously mentioned ADs, I- I'm going to Birmingham today asking Greg Sankey to help us preserve those games. Give us an opportunity to play Clemson. Give us an opportunity to play Florida State. That's what I would do if I were in their position. So I can certainly see a, a scenario in which that happens. And the next question would be, well, what does that mean for Ole Miss? What does that mean for Alabama and Auburn? Our rivals are in the SEC. What? Why does Florida get to add an extra game, but we don't? So I think it would be league-wide. You could potentially preserve Ole Miss and Baylor if that happens. Now, do I expect it to be played in Houston? No, probably not, with how coronavirus things are going there. Maybe they alter the agreement. I don't know. I, I had somebody tell me yesterday, say that they should play in Shreveport. <laughs> It's a kind of a halfway point. So it's possible that they're able to preserve that game. And maybe that's why you've seen some pushback from Baylor media and, and people uh, speaking on behalf of Ole Miss about, well, the game hasn't been canceled just yet. Uh, so that reporting isn't exactly true. Maybe that's why they're pushing back on it is because they're going to try to figure out how to play that game, whether they have to move venues or move the date, which is entirely possible to make sure that happens, but I would expect that conversation to be happening today in these meetings in Birmingham, is how can we preserve those kind of games? 
If I'm Auburn, I'm asking, hey, we've got to deal with North Carolina. It's an important game for us. Help us save that game. Or at least try. Before we just run off like the Big Ten did and only announce a conference-only schedule. And what's good for the SEC is they don't have any Big Ten teams on the schedule. And that really helps. There's not a single Big Ten team on an SEC schedule this year. In fact, there's only four Big 12 teams and two Pac-12 teams on the schedule. Zero from the Big Ten, six from the ACC on the SEC schedule. So it's important, really important for them to work with the ACC and the Big 12 more than the other two. And I think they might be able to get that done because the people at the ACC know how important those games are as well. So that's maybe why they haven't jumped the gun just yet and why the SEC hasn't jumped the gun and why the Big Ten's a little irresponsible. So I'll bring to you information will leak out about that meeting uh, by the time I hit record on Wednesday morning. So um, I'll just bring it, bring it to you then. I'll keep my ear on the ground. I'll keep my eyes out. And uh, if anything important comes out of that meeting uh, that's going on, probably as I record this right now, and definitely as you're listening to this, uh, we'll talk about it on Wednesday's show. Basically everything on the table, probably, in, according to Ross's report in Sports Illustrated, uh, nothing decision-wise is going to come out of this meeting, but a lot of things are going to be discussed. You might have a more streamlined idea of where they're going to go But they're going to wait until the end of this month because they don't have to do anything other than that. If they're going to push the season back, what's the harm in waiting uh, to the end of July to see if you have to? Um, So I'll let you know on Wednesday if anything important comes out of this meeting. But let's turn the page now to the topic of the day, the title of the podcast, Year Zero. Especially now, this should only be looked at as Year Zero for Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach and Eli Drinkwitz and Sam Pittman in the SEC. This is year zero. And I know people have used this verbiage before, and I've pushed back on it. I really pushed back on it, especially when it came to Chad Morris. I mean, he went 2-10 and in year one, and I spent a few days on the radio show out loud speaking about how it's it's always unacceptable to go 2-10 and as a head coach in the SEC West. I don't care what you took over. I don't care what was left behind. 2-10 is exclusively unacceptable as a head coach in the SEC West. And I was told I was crazy and that, oh, it's year zero and you don't realize what Chad Morris took over at Arkansas. I was told all those things by uh, certain other people that are on that show. (coughs) Richard Cross. (coughs) I was told that. That I didn't know what I was talking about and that it, you didn't know what he took over. Brett Bielema did not leave behind a 2-10 and 10 football team, and he would not have gone 2-10 had he remained the coach there for that season. There was something wrong with Chad Morris right away and being looked at as year zero when everything is normal in the SEC West at Arkansas. Um, that was disingenuous. And look at what happened the year after. Oh, wait, they were still terrible and he got fired. Year zero is a concept I don't like. But the amount of things that have gone out of the four new coaches in the SEC's control um, make it so. There's been no spring. You guys know that. Uh, No ability to implement your system and learn what kind of team you've got in the spring. That just didn't happen. It hurt 
every team in different ways. It hurt Ole Miss because there's no real separation in the quarterback battle, and they were looking in the transfer market, but they didn't really know what they had or what they needed because, as Lane Kiffin himself said, watching film from that team last year is not really going to help you all that much because it's a new system, it's a new coaching staff, a better coaching staff, a better system, and so you don't really know what you had from guys that were playing under a different umbrella last year. So you didn't get to see that in the spring. They didn't get to explore the transfer market as much because they didn't really know what what they were lacking because they never had a spring. There was no separation in the quarterback battle. There was no opportunity for you to to get your system, or at least in part, in with these guys. And so when they have their summer workouts that you're technically not supposed to be a part of, um, they can work on your system. Now that never really got to happen, so there was no spring. And on top of that, there was no real summer. So you hire new strength and conditioning coaches that you have cater their workouts and stuff towards your system. And part of establishing a new culture within a program really comes from what you do in the summer with your strength and conditioning program. And that hasn't been allowed to happen. Even what they're doing right now is not the same because you've got guys that aren't there. Guys are having to quarantine or whatever you want to call it, isolate themselves. Guys are uh, afraid of being around other guys the workouts are all a mess the season preparation's a complete mess and as much as people love Wilson love uh, forgive that um as much as people think he's a really good strength and conditioning coach he along with all the rest are, are dealing with a deck that's stacked against them the difference is he and the one at Mississippi State and Arkansas and uh, Missouri they're new and so it's a new style it's and knew everything. And because you can only have 10 guys at a time and they have to wear masks and social distance, and there's only so much that they can do that is normal. And so because of that, it needs to be looked differently. And then no recruiting. They can't have official visitors. They can't really go on the road and see anybody. They can't recruit the same way. And it's a little bit different when you're recruiting against programs that have had junior days where kids have been on their campus already earlier in their high school career where they have met these coaches before where there's been an established relationship they haven't been able to do that at all Uh, recruiting's been completely screwed and they still are going to sign a a class because they have to Uh, you're going to still be able to convince kids to come to Ole Miss because it is a program in the SEC West, and they're going to be able to recruit kids, but it's a little bit different when you can't have them on your campus. Uh, Multiple coaches in the past have often said, Hugh Freeze, I think especially, and he was right about this, is Ole Miss is the kind of place where you have to get them on campus. If you can't, then you're fighting an uphill battle in recruiting, but once you get them on campus and let them see the vibe of the place, and you're able to disprove all of the negative recruiting that happens when it comes to Ole Miss specifically. When you get them on campus, it changes things. It levels the playing field, sort of. You have to do a lot of other things right as well, and the deck deck is still stacked against you there because Georgia and Alabama and LSU have more resources. Read into that what you will. They have more resources than Ole Miss. 
And so that's why they're able to recruit at a higher level uh, than Ole Miss will ever be able to. But getting them on campus does at least give you a puncher's chance. And right now you can't do that. So that's been all screwed up. And then the conference-only schedule, if that's what happens, even if it's like a 9-plus-1 or a 10-plus-1, um, Ole Miss could go 3-7. and seven, And people would look at the record and think, oh, it was a bad first year. It was a disaster. Well, that's not really how it works because this year in their 12 games, they were supposed to play three cupcakes in Vanderbilt and Arkansas. I mean, they have SEMO on the schedule and UConn. Who else? Georgia Southern. That's all gone, probably. A Baylor team that you had an opportunity to beat in week one. Baylor will not be on the same level as nine teams in the SEC, eight teams in the SEC. Ole Miss was poised to, I mean, at worst, go five and seven, I think. If all things were created equal and normal, I mean, they, they would have had a real chance to, to be a bowl team. And now, I mean, every win outside of Vanderbilt and Arkansas, if it's a conference-only schedule, should be celebrated. It's not excuse-making, because I would make the exact same argument for Mississippi State and Mike Leach and Missouri and Eli Drinkwitz and Arkansas and Sam Pittman. The DAC has been stacked against all of these guys, and they should all be looked at as year zero teams because you don't have the UConn to get yourself a comfortable win or the Southeast Missouri to get yourself a comfortable win. I mean, even if you can have home games, the the home field advantage will be taken away from you because they're not putting 60,000 people in Vaught-Hemingway this year. I guess it helps you on road games because the same thing's going to happen everywhere else. But, uh, I mean, you have Auburn and Florida at home. Although Vaught-Hemingway is not Jordan-Hare or or the Swamp as far as number of people and how loud they are, it's still a home field advantage that, yes, you get to sleep in your own bed the night before. Well, they go to Tupelo, never mind. But you're you're at home, but it's not the same. So you don't have any of those pushover games that give you comfortable wins that you can build from. It's it's potentially an all-SEC schedule, and if that's the case, I mean... A three and seven or a four and eight would not be the end of the world. I said four and eight. Four and six, if it's a 10 game schedule, would not be the end of the world. In fact, like I said, I'm telling you, I think every win, if this is what they do outside of Vanderbilt and Arkansas, should be celebrated. Should be something that, that you look at as positive momentum. Since those games are taken away, it's a real possibility that they go two and eight or, or three and seven, and people will look at it like it's some kind of disaster when it's not even close to the same thing as what Chad Morris did at Arkansas in year one. Not not even close. Because you don't get to set your schedule with cupcakes with three of them. So it's a little bit different when it's an SEC only schedule. And yeah, you will get Vanderbilt as a crossover. They're going to be awful. That will help. I expect Arkansas is going to be very, very bad in year one under Pittman. I think he was a horrendous hire, but even if he was a great hire, that's a beatable football team who are in a far worse position than Ole Miss right now as far as roster and talent on that roster. Very different. Aside from that, everybody else you're going to play is in a better situation than you right now. Roster-wise, 
not having to implement a new system during a pandemic and things like that. They have an established culture at these places. So this is year zero for every new coach in the SEC, but especially Lane Kiffin. There's no reason to think otherwise at this point. And so if they roll out, if they do play a full 10-game schedule and they roll out a 3-7, and seven, that's no reason to panic or think anything other than, well, you kind of have to be given a pass here. Because of what's happened around you. Things that are completely out of your control. It's year zero for Lane Kiffin. And anybody that suggests otherwise, I think, are are doing it disingenuously. Because there's no way that you or anybody else should expect even a 500 record if you're doing a 10-game conference-only schedule. That's just an unfair ask, considering everything I just mentioned in the first year as a head coach. That, that's just an unrealistic expectation. Now, if they do that, you, you mean, hold a parade, because that would be an accomplishment that should be entirely unexpected. But to expect that, I think, is just setting yourself up for failure, or or that's being done disingenuously. And last thing before I let you go, this story about Auburn comes from Sportico. I have never heard of a deal like this before. And if you were paying attention a few weeks ago, you saw that UCLA's Under Armour deal got terminated for um, simply they weren't getting a return on their investment, or at least that's what they claimed, that UCLA... Basically, UCLA athletics stunk so bad and, and nobody was buying Under Armour because they stunk, and so they found a way to get out of that deal. Well, um, most people agree that that's in part due to Under Armour's struggles as of late, and they're trying to find ways uh, out of that contract in particular. It was an expensive one. It didn't make sense at the time, really. UCLA's not all that valuable, but um, Under Armour's really struggling right now, and Auburn is now the next victim of Under Armour struggles. Now, this isn't uh, a contract termination or anything like that, but uh, this is something I've never heard of. The value of Auburn's Under Armour contract has fallen more than 11% due to the fact that a part of the contract was that the school would have equity in Under Armour. So back in 2015, this is according to Sportico, Auburn and Under Armour re-upped their agreement through 2025, a deal that was worth $78 million in total value. As part of the agreement, though, $10 million of the value was stock paid out over the life of the contract. So the school agreed to accept $10 million of stock paid through 2025. And if you have been paying attention to the stock market lately, you know that stocks have not done well when it comes to Under Armour. Their stock hit an all-time high in 2015, a week after the contract was signed. The stock was $54.70 a share. The company has basically free-falled since then. They're undergoing a multi-year restructuring, according to Sportico, that includes the elimination of 40% of its product line. Shares are down to around $9 per share, depending on what day you look. 
That $10 million grant that Under Armour gave to Auburn as part of their deal is now worth under $2 million. That's right. Auburn has, to no fault of their own, but I guess they signed a deal that was tied into stock options, um, which is fairly unique as I understand. I've never heard of this before anywhere else. But Auburn's deal with Under Armour has shrank by over $8 million because of this stock situation that they brought upon themselves. The school was betting, uh, according to this article, that Under Armour, their stock would continue to rise over the course of the deal, increasing the value of the shares, of course, increasing the value of their deal. It has not, obviously, has not worked out that way. Then the school, according to a spokesperson, still owns that equity. So they did not sell off the stocks that they were given as part of the deal. So they've still got them. And that means that they are currently set to lose $8 million plus if Under Armour's stock continues to plummet the way it has been. In the previous five years, for what it's worth, before Auburn signed that deal, Under Armour's stock had risen by 800%. 800%. Yikes. You would hope that Ole Miss doesn't have a deal like this. Um, wow. I, I did not know that schools structure deals like this, but Auburn's lost $8 million because of Under Armour. So they're victim number two now. Uh, thanks in part to the plummeting stock of Under Armour. So you better hope that Ole Miss doesn't have that kind of stake in Nike. Although Nike has not performed the way Under Armour has. I mean, Under Armour has completely free-falled. And I fancy myself a, a bit of a day trader. I mean, I've my Robinhood account has gained like $5 in the last couple of weeks. So, you know, I'm a big stock guy now. And uh, I don't currently have any investment in Under Armour. So lucky me. Um, I'm kind of a nerd, though. And uh, I have some... Uh, esports stock Van Eck Vectors uh, esports and that's actually done well for me there's your stock tip of the day uh, brought to you by LB's in Oxford Uh, that stock's doing really well otherwise I don't know what the hell I'm doing I really just follow a couple of Twitter accounts and uh, basically do what they tell me to do I'm I'm earning money though like five dollars but hey that's that's earning money instead of losing it apparently like uh, like Auburn is, thanks to the stock market. <sighs> anyway, I'll keep an eye on that uh, AD meeting for you as well. Thank you for tuning in. I'm glad that you are a part of the show today. Have a great week. I know the heat's going to be miserable. I saw the, the guy on the weather this morning that was saying that the heat index here in Mississippi over the next few days could be well above 110 uh, that's just brutal. So uh, stay cool, stay safe. Stop by LB's, go see Greg. Thank you for tuning in. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Borky or on Facebook at Michael Borky. And uh, again, I'll come at you Wednesday with uh, anything important that happened from that AD meeting. So have a great week, and I'll talk to you again on Wednesday morning. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.